0: Well, we had gone undefeated all season, uh, hadn't lost a game, and so I went into our under-17s football grand final, confident of the win. Uh, I arrived at the ground with great expectations, and our coach got us in the rooms, and he revved us up with that song, The Eye of the Tiger, playing, blasting through the speakers. We'd never done that before, actually, uh, but it felt pretty good uh, for a team that was about to win. And so we ran out into the ground, all our family and friends were there cheering for us. But then the unthinkable happened. In the first quarter of the game, it seemed that no one on the team could get the ball or kick the ball or put the ball through the goals like we had done so well all season. While the other team kicked six in a row, we were rattled, we were taken by surprise. And at quarter time, our coach implored and yelled and screamed at us. And so we tried with everything we had to fight back, but we never recovered. And so the undefeated team, all season, was defeated at the final test. I still remember when the final siren went, falling to my knees and putting my face in my hands because we had failed. You know, over the years, I have replayed that game over and over in my mind. What we should have done. What could have been different, that we should not have played Eye of the Tiger in the rooms before. In fact, every time that song comes on the radio, I cringe, I shudder, because it reminds me of the failure. But it was, of course, all too late, because you can't change it. And to make things worse, no football team that I ever played in again ever made it to a grand final. My only record is of failure failure everyone knows about it you know about it all of us have stumbled and fallen we have made the mess that we can't wipe up and clean the failure to keep our sincerest promises the failure to have courage when it was needed the failure to be faithful to God and not to fall away from him And isn't it true that these failures, they haunt us? We replay them over and over in our minds. We anguish at what we should have done. And we wonder whether it is even possible for us to get back on track. I wonder if you feel like that this morning. If even as you've come here today, as you're sitting in the seats listening and you've listened all morning, if you are in some way sitting in the shame of your failure. This morning I want to share with you The hope for those who have failed. The hope for those who have failed. It is also a significant morning for the life of our church this morning because today we finish a year-long journey through the Gospel of Mark. Today we reach the end. And I have to tell you, if you noticed when Steph read it out for us, it is a strange ending. It is quite strange. Have a look at verse 8, 16 verse 8, the last verse of Mark. After nothing short of the resurrection of Jesus, Mark finishes with, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now that's it. That's the end. What a letdown. You, you, I mean, you would think that there should be joy, there should be celebration, because Jesus, the one that they had walked with and loved, was risen again. The tomb was empty, he is risen shouldn't be fear and trembling but there is fear and trembling and they flee away afraid in fact it seems that those who made copies of the gospel in the centuries after this gospel of mark didn't like this ending very much and so they tacked on a few resurrection appearances on at the end which you can read about in matthew mark uh, in matthew luke and john to make it kind of feel a bit better, to sort of dress it up a bit. And that's why you notice in your Bible, if you just have a look there, after 16 verse 8, there'll be a sentence maybe in brackets that says, the earliest manuscripts do not include 16 verse 9 to 20. That doesn't prove a lack of integrity in the content of the Bible. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It maintains its integrity. The earliest copies of the Gospel of Mark, which is the closest time to the actual events of Jesus' life, They are the most reliable and they're all consistent with one another. And they didn't have verses 9 to 20 in them. And so they're not given the weight of inspired scripture. And regardless, when you read 9 to 20, which you read later, there's nothing in there that undoes any major truth. But the point is here is is this is such a strange anticlimactic ending that people later thought, we need to change this. We need to fix this up. We need to make this look a lot better. This is not how it can end with people running away afraid. Jesus has risen. But actually, when you look a little bit closer, what you find is that this strange ending actually fits per- perfectly with the whole purpose of the gospel of Mark. As we have seen, many of you have been with us over the last year, Mark wrote a gospel about discipleship, about recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God, And that following Jesus is going to be a path of following him through suffering on the road to glory. And there has been proof along the way of a lot of failure. A lot of failure from Jesus' followers. And so the jarring end of Mark asks all of those who have failed to follow Jesus faithfully, what will you do now? What are you going to do now? I want you to have a look at, with me at the proof of the failure here in this passage. Notice that after the death of Jesus on the cross, you had the confession of the Roman centurion. We are told in verse 40, There were also woman, women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And so the woman, women were there at the cross. And notice there is a specific note that is made about them. There's a, there's a comment, comment by Mark made about them. Verse 41, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And so the women here are noted for the fact that throughout Jesus' three-year ministry on earth, they followed him And they ministered to him. They are being highlighted for their faithfulness to Jesus. They began at Galilee and they are still there at Jerusalem and even there at the cross. And so you might ask then, well, where is the proof of the failure here? And the elephant in the room, of course, is where are the disciples? Where are they? Where are the most prominent followers of jesus where are all all the 12 who said to jesus in the upper room we will never leave you lord judas who betrayed him peter denied him all the rest of them fled where is all that testosterone fueled bravado well mark told us bluntly in 1450 and they all left him and fled But do not fear because the women are here. And and this is a side note. I feel like this would be a fun topic for the next West Women's Camp. It would be encouraging for the women. I I thought you could call it the only chromosomes at the cross. (laughs) With just just a little XX next to it. The women have been faithful. The disciples are nowhere to be seen. And so the faithfulness that's highlighted here in the women also reveals the failure of the most prominent of Jesus' followers. It's also quite interesting that the only time Mark mentions any women in his gospel by name is here, and he does it three times. And so he is purposefully mentioning these three women, Mary Magdalene, that's one, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, and their names are repeated three times to the end of chapter 16, and it's almost like Mark is saying, where's the inner three? Where's Peter, James, and John? Well, they have failed. And take a look in 16, verse 3. The women are on the way up to anoint the body of Jesus in the tomb on Sunday morning. And notice on the way to the tomb, they're worrying among themselves. Who's going to roll the stone away? You see, it's going to be too heavy for the women to move on their own. Again, where are the disciples? This is proof of their failure. They are not there. They have failed. I, I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, haven't we all failed too? And think about this in your own life. How much in the past month have you failed in lust and immorality? How much in the last month have you given in to pornography? How much in the past month have you failed in the treatment of your spouse? How much have you gossiped? How much have you slandered? How much have you failed in... Greed and selfishness. How embarrassed have you been about Jesus in front of others? How prayerless? How consumed have you been with the ungodly things of this world? How much have you flown off the handle in anger? Friends, even just yesterday, I confess that as I was only thinking of myself and what I wanted to do in a small moment of misbehavior from one of my kids, I flew off the handle I got angry, I overreacted and I yelled, and I realized, as soon as it happened, I have failed. I failed once again. I wonder if you look of, as you look at your life at the moment, if you think of this last month, haven't you failed? Can you point to deep, anguishing failures in your own life? As we move on, in contrast to the absence of the disciples, Mark turns his focus to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph was a non-disciple, if you like. He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the assembly that actually got rid of Jesus and had him killed. But Joseph was someone who didn't consent to that. He was like an insider in the religious kind of leadership group who had sympathy with Jesus And compared to the proof of failure of the disciples, Joseph is a picture of faithfulness. He's a picture of faithfulness. And Joseph knew what would happen once Jesus was confirmed dead and what would happen to his body was that it would be tossed uh, into a common criminal's grave. And so before the Sabbath began, because they weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath, before the Sabbath began, uh, he got really proactive that evening to go to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. And I want you to notice what he said of Joseph in contrast, he himself was looking for the kingdom of God, looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph was a man of faith, an unexpected man of faith, who is expected for God's coming kingdom. And notice what else is said of him. He took courage and went to Pilate. What a risk this was for him. A risk that Pilate, who would have already been pretty ticked off at the Jews for the chaos they have caused around Jesus' death. And seeing that he was one of them, perhaps Pilate would have lashed out at him, arrested him or whatever. And even from his own side, if the Sanhedrin had known what Joseph was up to, perhaps they would have seized him and killed him. This was a significant risk, this approach that Joseph made, but Joseph took courage. And we see here that Pilate granted him the body and Joseph did this incredibly noble thing and prepared the body of Jesus for burial. Many believe in his own family tomb. This is a picture of faithfulness. Joseph is the unexpected picture of the faithful and courageous allegiance to Christ that Mark has been telling us about all the way, that risks our own personal safety to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to follow the way of the kingdom. And we are supposed to take notice of this picture. It's the kind of discipleship that has been called of them and is called of us today. And to make this picture of faithfulness all the more clear, there is something surprising that happens because Mark, in typical Mark fashion, returns back to the subject of the women immediately. Women, Joseph, now back to the women. And there's a point here. On Sunday morning, as they make their way to the tomb to go and anoint the body of Jesus, they worry about who's going to roll back the stone But when they get there, the stone is already rolled away. And so they enter the tomb and they see a young man, evidently an angel, who's sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Verse 6, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Now, that's a lot of information for them to take in all at once, to be fair. He is risen, he is not here. And the message that the angel has for them is in verse 7 But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, notice again with me the women's response. The women who had followed Jesus and ministered to Jesus and remained with Jesus at the cross, they received the noise with absolute joy and they skipped away from the tomb and they did exactly what the angel said and everyone rejoiced. No, in verse 8, they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. See, even the women failed. Even the women failed. So for those of us who laughed before, we have to realize that even the women failed. The disciples are contrasted with the faithfulness of Joseph. Now the women are too. But again, brothers and sisters, isn't this the truth about us? That all of us have followed, failed to follow Jesus And what I mean is, haven't we all grievously sinned, deliberately disobeyed, chosen the desires of the flesh, not carried out our duties or lived up to goodness and godliness? What can we do? What shall we do in our failure? Wednesday night, I was together with three other guys here in our, our men's discipleship group, there's four of us at my place, and we got talking about some of the things of our past As we talked on the topic of money. And everyone had something to say, and some with some kind of pattern of regret and and failure. And you realize as people share the power of these regrets. I shared about a time 12 or 13 years ago now where I generally got to a point in my life that I felt that I had utterly failed as a Christian, as a husband in almost every way, that it would be totally impossible for me to find my way back. I was in a lot of debt because of greedy choices. I had been deceitful. I had not been the man that I thought I would be. I had piled failure on top of failure. And you know, these days, I often speak to men and women with similar stories, in and outside of the church, who feel that because of where they are and all the failures that they have piled up, they can never get back on track with God. They have gone too far. And I imagine that this was the reason that the disciples were still in hiding. They were afraid. They were ashamed. They completely failed and they were resigned to their situation. But what I want you to see here, what I want us all to see, this is so important, the thread of hope for those who have failed. And it is beautiful. Something very important in the message that the angel gave to the women to pass on to the disciples. Verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now notice that the angel said, And Peter. Why did he say, and Peter? Peter was already a disciple. Why did he need to differentiate Peter from the other disciples? Why did he need to be singled out? Of course, the last time that we heard about Peter in Mark's gospel was when the rooster crowed three times and Peter was weeping in a courtyard because he had denied knowing Jesus at all. He was standing in the grief of his failure, weeping, thinking, it is over for me. And yet here at the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus had a specific message for Peter through the angel. Meet me back in Galilee. Right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we saw that it was in Galilee that Jesus called his first followers to follow him. Just fishermen they were at the Sea of Galilee. He knew that they were anything but perfect. And they did follow Jesus. And the journey took them all the way to Jerusalem and the cross where it seemed that the mission had failed and they had failed. But now the tomb was empty. And Jesus had risen from the, from the grave. God rode, rolled the stone away. And through the angel, his message to Peter is, meet me back in Galilee, the place where it all began. This is the promise of forgiveness. I am going to forgive you of your failure. I'm going to call you again, Peter. Peter. I'm not finished with you. I'm giving you a fresh start, a new and powerful beginning because my work is complete on the cross and I've conquered the grave. In spite of your failure, I am calling you once again. Meet me back in Galilee. And what Jesus is saying to the failed in light of his death and resurrection is simply this, come and meet me again and resume the journey this is the grace of God for all of, you, all of you who have failed. If you have gotten off track, Jesus' message to you is resume the journey. Meet me in Galilee. Come back again to the place where it started, where you met me and you realized that your sins were forgiven. You were washed and clean and it wasn't any of your doing. It was all mine. Meet me there and resume the journey. This is the great hope of resurrection. This is the promise of forgiveness for all the failures, for all the shamed, for all the hopeless, for all the desperate, for all of you who are in anguish and despair about your lives this day. Jesus says, come and meet me and resume the journey. You know, Jesus is changing us from people who are looking around in darkness to people who are now looking and expectant for the kingdom. And and living with courageous holiness, like Joseph. And that's the purpose of Mark's jarring end, don't go and dwell in your failure. Come and meet with Christ. Come and resume the journey. Take up your cross and follow him. Because the promise, the beautiful promise of forgiveness, is that Jesus is turning proven failures into pictures of faithfulness. And he's doing this bit by bit by bit by bit, as we choose the path of following him. We're going to sing our final song now. We're going to close. And we don't often do this, but this morning, if you have felt the sting of failure in your life, whatever it is, sin, regret, I, want to, I just want to invite you this morning in our final song to just come and stand down the front. You may feel uncomfortable about this, but I want to encourage you. You won't be down here for long. Someone will come and just put a hand on you, not to interrogate you, but just to pray with you, just to encourage you. And it might just be an important step that you take today to just demonstrate, I want to meet with Christ again. I want to, I want to meet with Christ, and I want to resume the journey. It's not me being resaved again or anything like that. I know I am saved, but, I, but I've gotten off track, and it's all because of failure and shame. And, and, it's, and I'm just filled with this constant you know, record of my failures and my face is in my hands about myself. And I don't know what to do. I want to tell you, friends, you know what? The last thing that Jesus wants you to do is to remain in your failure and capitulate and fall away. His grace is overflowing for you. It is enough for you. He's calling you to come and meet him and resume the journey. I want to encourage you, if you want prayer, this morning, just to come down the front. I'll be down here. Some others will come and just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. So let's stand together. And in this last song, if you want to do that, I want to invite you to come.